This week I had the privilege of looking at the rewards of being an overcomer. thought you might want to know what some of them are. The book of Revelation is littered with incredible rewards that we have for those who overcome. Let me give you just a few. We will be unhurt by the second death because we die once. We will receive manna from heaven. That means he will sustain us. We're going to actually receive from our God a white stone that has a new name of us that is written on it. Don't you wonder what your name will be? We're promised as overcomers to rule with Christ in his coming kingdom. We're also promised to be clothed in white garments. Overcomers also have their name permanently in the book of life, never to be removed. Come on, somebody. Overcomers. Overcomers are the pillars in God's temple. And overcomers are promised to sit with Christ on his throne. But here's the problem with this series that we've been in on overcoming. And that is overcomers by nature are going to go through difficult moments, painful seasons, or scary situations. As a matter of fact, as we're going to see in the text today, there's no way to overcome the adversity that we're going to face. We can only overcome adversity. When I was a little guy, my dad told me, he said, Carl, I, I, want, to, I want to take you out. I got a brand new motor for the canoe. Now, the canoe was a canoe that Dad and I had built together. It was a redwood strip canoe. Some of you know the story a little bit, but we had a mold, and we cut these little redwood strips on this radial arm saw, and then we tacked it onto this mold, and then we covered it in fiberglass and knocked out the molds and fiberglass the inside of that canoe. It was a square stern canoe so that we could put a motor on it because we loved to go into what's called the Swanson River Trails and go after these incredible salmon, silver salmon in the Swanson River, not only trails, but river system. And my dad came home from work one day and he said, Carl, now you need to know something. Here's something I hadn't shared with you. My middle name is Joseph because my dad's name is Joseph. And so Joseph came home and he said to me, Carl, I want to take you out and I want to test out this new motor. So we loaded it up, put it on top of our Volkswagen Squareback. Some of you have no clue what that is. The hippies used to love these things. They were incredible little rigs. We put that canoe up on top of that car, and we headed down to Sand Lake. And when we got down to Sand Lake, we took it off. It was really cold. It was actually a day like it is right now. It was about this period of time in Alaska. It was near the end of the season. Ice wasn't coming on the lake yet, but it was close. And we peeled that canoe off, set it down into the lake, and Dad got out that brand new motor. But one big problem. It was a long shaft motor, and you had to be careful with a long shaft motor. The further that prop went down into the water, the more potential it was that when you crank it right or left, it could provide torque, and that torque could really either steer the boat or flip the boat. So I got my parka on, and I got on my life vest. Dad had on a thick corduroy parka, that's part of the story here, and a life vest. 
And we're out in the middle of Sand Lake, and he says, man, it runs good. I go, Dad, it does. I said, do some crazy eights, Dad. We did about one of those crazy eights, and then Dad tucked that motor in tight, and in an instant, we were upside down. We're in the middle of Sand Lake, and my dad just looks at me as we're bobbing in the water there, and he says, swim to shore, swim to shore. I started swimming shore. About halfway to shore, I look back, and I see my dad, and he's struggling. I'm like, Dad, he said, swim to shore, swim to shore. Swimming and swimming and swimming, and by this time, my coat's getting so wet, I'm barely making any headway, and I'm swimming as hard as I can swim. And I look back, and my dad is way back there now, and I see him flailing at the water. I said, Dad, you okay? He says, swim to shore. I got to shore, and I crawled up on that beach, and I just sat there panting and exhausted, and I look up at my dad, and I could barely see him with his head barely out of the water. That corduroy jacket was sinking him down under. I said, Dad, Dad, are you okay, Dad? And then I heard the most horrifying words this 10-year-old could hear. My big old Swedish strong build a house, make it happen, build canoes, repair it, fix it. Dad yelled, help. I was too exhausted. I could not get back in that lake. All I could do was stagger to my feet, and I ran to a house that was very close by, and I beat on the door, and I said, help my dad, help my dad. And two young men that actually went to the church that we were in came running to the door, the Bach brothers. They said, Carl, what's up? And they were big giant men to me. They were like 14 and 15 years old. And they were dry, and they didn't have any heavy clothes on. And I said, my dad's drowning, my dad's drowning. They peeled off their coats and their sweaters as they ran to the edge of the lake, and those two young men dove in. And as they dove in, my dad was going down and coming up. My dad was going down and coming up. And those Bach brothers came right around my dad, and I'll never forget them just getting right to him and picking him up. And they swam with my dad's arms around him back to the beach. My big old dad stood there, actually sat there on the edge of Sand Lake, absolutely exhausted, panting, just fried. Have you ever been in a situation where you've expended so much energy that there is not one ounce of energy in you? And he reached into his pocket. He said, I want you to go start the car, son. Let's get it warmed up. The Bach brothers said, Joe, are you going to be all right? He said, I'm going to be okay. I remember my dad, even in that moment, looked at those Bach brothers and had presence of mind to say, God is good because he sent you young men to me. Probably one of the sweetest moments I've ever had with my dad, and we've had many, many sweet moments. He's 94 years old, and I had sweet moments with him this summer when we visited there. Maybe one of the sweetest moments we ever had was letting that Volkswagen Square back heat up 
that weak little heater that just blew right from one little area in the console. And we huddled around that. And I said, Dad, when are we heading home? He said, Son, when I, when I get energy, I'm just too tired to even drive right now. My dad and I just sat there around that heater and we talked. He talked about the goodness of God. And I just listened. You know, I'm so painfully aware of this reality. All of us in here, maybe in this moment, feel like we're drowning. We don't know what to do. It's hard to catch a breath. It could be a wayward child. It could be a strained marriage relationship. It could be some real strong financial difficulties that you find yourself in. It could be that you're weighted down by the shame of the past and you feel like you're sinking. And everything inside you wants to cry out, Hell, I want you to know today, our God is an overcoming God. Our God wants to meet you exactly where you are, no matter how much pain, no matter how shackled you are, no matter how much you feel like I'm going down, and even when you feel, I don't know if I've got another breath, I don't know if I can go another day, when we are at our worst, our God is at his best. Father, today as we bust into your word, I just pray that you'll break into our hearts, and that you'll allow us to see from the life of Joseph just very quickly what I've called the overcomer's creed, but God, whatever you want to do with this, I just pray that you will do a mighty thing. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I gave it away in my prayer. The title of this message this morning, this is the last message in our series. It's called The Overcomer's Creed. It's the life of Joseph. Quick flyby, there's so much to it. The book of Genesis actually encompasses 17 chapters that deal with the life of Joseph. He had a full brother named Benjamin. He had 10 half-brothers. They had dysfunction galore. His dad's name wasn't Joe, it was Caniver. <laughs> It's a horrible legacy that he was born into. But Joseph was a man that was called to be a man of expansion, of growth, of preservation. And boy, did he live up to his calling. He was given a bomb steer by his brothers. As I'm going to get into here in just a moment, it's kind of debatable about whether or not he should have shared the vision that he had from God, the dream that God had for him. But the fact is, he did, and, and I don't really knock Joseph for that. He's young, and when you're 17 and God's speaking to you, you'd probably tell your brothers and sisters too. Probably would. He's quite a guy. The only hint that we get, and you're going to see this at the fourth point of what I have today, the only hint we get is that the secret sauce was something that all of us need. I'm going to save that for right now, but it was so seen by Pharaoh that he even called it out in him. It was amazing. He was not only sold into slavery, he got promoted, and as you're going to see in a little bit here, he walked with integrity. He walked with integrity so much he should have been rewarded for it. Instead, he got penalized for it. And then he was 
miraculously used to interpret dreams and then forgotten, left for dead, snatched out of death and then taken to his ultimate promotion. He became one of the greatest leaders that this world has ever known. God used him powerfully. And I need you to hear me. What I'm about to jump into is what I'm calling the overcomer's creed. There is no such thing as an overcomer's creed. I made it up. I made it up because I wanted to get what I felt were the five big ideas that I want you to take away from the life of Joseph so that you can go take hold of God's rewards. Because I know this. There's a whole lot of people drowning in this world, and if you aren't treading water today, you will be soon. And the life of Joseph is for you and me to learn from and apply to our own life. So let's jump in. I told you about this dream that he had, that his brothers were ultimately going to bow down to him. And in Genesis 37, verse 8, his brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more. In other words, they had hated him a lot for his dreams and for his words. Here's the first point of an overcomer's creed, and then I'm going to explain it to you. God's dreams for you can make others uncomfortable. Live it anyway. I mean it. Much could be said about whether or not Joseph should have told his brothers they would bow down to him, but the fact is he did. And the real question that we might have today is, how in the world do we live the dream? How in the world do we live the dream? How do we hear from God? And I want to demystify this a little bit because I want you to know that in Scripture, God gives us a very clear understanding that when we come into a relationship with the Savior of the world, and remember, everything in the Old Testament is pointing to the Messiah, and everything in the Newer Testament is about how to walk with him to this victorious end. But when Jesus Christ makes us new, old things have gone, new things have come. God left behind his word to instruct us And he also gave us a unique design. When you were knit together in your mother's womb, all the days that were ordained for you had been laid out. All of them. Every one of you has a unique design and a unique calling on your life. No one here, no one here is a duplicate. God loves you and he's got a plan that is unique and different. God's given you passions that you ought to not second guess And he's given you gifting. And I want to encourage you to go live the dream. So the question is, how are dreams discerned? As we read the scriptures and as we take our unique design and the spiritual gifts that God's given us, they combine together in something beautiful. One of the things that I love about working in in the church is I get to see people who have these unique passions combined with a unique gifting, and that that causes there to be a unique person that is uniquely used of God, and it's absolutely awesome. I want to try to illustrate this for you in a really practical way. When I was saved, I was radically saved. I don't mind rehearsing this story over and over again because it reminds me of the grace of God in my life. But in the early 80s, I was running hard from God, and I had a serious cocaine addiction, and I had a serious whiskey addiction, and 
And I was in trouble, man. My life was a mess. When Jesus spoke to me in my car driving down Minnesota Bypass in Anchorage, Alaska, it was one of the most amazing experiences ever. Because here I am, every crutch kicked out from under me, and all I heard was the whisper of God, Are you done yet? And on that day, I broke. And Jesus Christ saved my soul. He set me free from me. And he put a new song in my heart. Things that I had learned early on in church now began to make sense. And things that my dad had said to me, even in Volkswagen Squarebacks, now started to come together. And I was alive. I was new. Things started changing. When Jesus Christ takes over your life and it's pure and unadulterated, things change radically. God will put this dream in you. But it's often lived out and then identified by others. And so let me tell you this part, the part of my story that maybe you never knew. And that is simply that I went to a Bible college that I never, ever, ever wanted to go to. I went to a Bible college that my big sister, who's five years older than me, had gone to. And when I was in junior high, I went to visit her at Multnomah Bible College, which is kind of the moody Bible college of the West Coast. And I went to visit her, and I remember distinctly sitting in this pickup truck with these guys, her friends, who had crushes on her. I could discern that as a junior hire. And I'm sitting in the back of this pickup truck, and these guys are trying to befriend me big time. And all I'm thinking is, these guys are weird. These Bible college guys are really oddballs. I remember telling my sister before I got on the plane headed back to Anchorage, Alaska, I said, Sharon, I love you, but this is a weird school and I will never go here. A little subplot for free. When God gets a hold of your heart, there's no telling where he might take you. Be open to where God may lead. So God wound up taking me to Multnomah, School of the Bible. Only on the recommendation of a man who I was going to go build medical buildings all around the world for, and I said, I'm going to go build these medical buildings for you because I, I was a good tradesman at that point, and he said, all right, but I want you to do a year of Bible college first. I said, where do you want me to go? Multnomah Bible College. I'm like, oh, no. In fact, I told him his name's Mr. Benson, and I said, Mr. Benson, I can't go there. He says, why can't you go there? I said, the people are weird. He said, Carl, you're weird. You'll fit right in. <laughs> his exact words. And so I went to Multnomah Bible College, and I was there for one year. But here's what I want you to know about the dreams of God, and I want to be so practical today, and I need you to hear my heart. I want you to not second-guess the passions that God's put in your heart. And if you must, return to your first love this morning and get in touch with the passions that God's put in you, not for you, but for others. Get in touch with those passions because God put them there. Well, I came to school with a passion, a passion. I remember sitting there on this freshman orientation and all these kids are sitting in this amphitheater lawn and I'm kind of an old student because I'm, like I'm like 23 or 24. No, I'm 24. And I'm going to Bible college like late. 
And so there's all these kids that look so much younger than me. They're like 19 and 20. They're like babies. And I'm sitting there on that lawn, and I'm just sitting back watching them, and they're going up to these microphones talking about what they want to do and how they want to use their degree in the future. And I'm in, I'm, I'm in this worship service all alone and I'm sitting there with God and I got tears just streaming down my face overwhelmed by the grace of God he's now set me free from cocaine addiction overnight set me free from whiskey addiction overnight he doesn't do that for everyone but he did for me he set me free and as I sat there with tears coming down my face I said God I want to be used by you and I don't know how but I just went with what my calling was and I let that passion boil and I remember running for student body president which was never done by a freshman and I didn't even want to do it I felt called of God to do it it's like something was dragging me to go fill out the form and I filled out the form and I won and I didn't know that when you win student body president you're also bound to be preaching that next year when you come back at four student body chapels now I had gotten a D when I was in high school in speech class and I can honestly tell you right now from the bottom of my heart I was so terrified and that first chapel I had prepared and I was preaching on the wayward sons. One was a victim of his passion, one a victim of his pride, and it fit so well with me. I felt like I was both sons. And I poured my heart out, and it was pin drop quiet. And when I got done, the president of the college, Joe Aldrich, came up to me and he said, Carl, I know you came here. I know you came here because you felt like God wanted you to go build metal buildings for medical ambassadors around the world but I need you to know I think I've heard from God he said no I know I've heard from God I want you to put down your bags and I want you to preach the gospel the rest of your life I want you to be very clear about this in this new covenant in this new day we need each other in the body of Christ and I'm going to give you little exhortations here as we go through this but I need you to hear me every one of you Every one of you has a unique design that God has placed on your life. And it is imperative, and I try to do this all the time. I try to do it with our staff. I chew them out a good bit, but I also affirm them a whole lot. And I try to find where people are winning and affirm them. And if we can become a body of believers that catches people winning, watches God using them, and we affirm them, it's amazing what God will do for that person's dream that God gave them to begin to become a reality. God's dream for you can make others comfortable, live it anyway. And I need to share with you one part of the story that I left out on purpose. One of the toughest things with using the dream that God gives you, whether it's to be an Old Testament Bible scholar professor, holy land tour guide, a preacher, a Bible study leader, a servant who exercises mercy, have a gift of helps. I work with someone, and I'm happy to say it, Ali Domerson, she's my co-host in the morning show, 
She was bold to say this out on radio so I can say it here. God's given her a spiritual gift of giving. She says, I just love to give. It's just a beautiful thing. But when you live the dream, see the second message that I preached at Multnomah Bible College, I started hearing some grumbling from some brothers. There's going to be envy at times. There's going to be shots taken at you. Live it anyway. Bust through it. Genesis 39, verses 2 through 6. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he had done to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had from the time that he had, he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake, for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was all that he had, on all that he had in-house and field so that so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate so Joseph sold into slavery is now getting promoted here's the point and then I'll illustrate it God always leverages your trials for opportunities keep walking with integrity I love what James the half brother of Jesus says the reason I have it memorized is because it's so near and dear to my heart consider it pure joy my brothers whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete lacking nothing when you feel like you're drowning, don't give up. Walk with integrity. Let God turn your trials into tools. You know, I heard that Michael Jr. was coming to town. He's a Christian comedian. Been on Jimmy Kimmel and been on Tonight Show and been on that kind of stuff. And I want to tell you I was a cynic. I heard these announcements and I heard that we're going to be sponsoring Michael Jr. on our radio show and that we're going to have him come in and he's going to do his comedy routine. And I'm like, oh, no. We got to get behind a Christian comedian. Boy, was I mistaken. I had a hunch I was going to be mistaken because Allie, when I was out one morning, actually interviewed Michael Jr. And when I heard the interview, I'm like, whoa, there's a river runs through this guy. And I went to an event Friday night that was a holy revival of sorts, filled with humor, but presented by a man who had gone through deep, 
valleys of brokenness as a child. And he says this, he didn't know why when he was a kid he couldn't read words, but God gave him seven other ways of interpreting the words on the page, what came before it, what went after it, what it looked like. Um, And even though he fumbled words and couldn't read around girls when he was in that impressionable age, The story unfolded, 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 and he said, now I look back, and God was building humor and observation in me to help people fill in the gaps of their life. And he wove together a night so chalk-filled of anointed joke-telling and storytelling, it was amazing. You know... I had a man tell me one time, deep pain equals deep ministry. It does. So you know what that tells me for a lot of you in this room? If you walk with integrity, you've got some of the deepest days of ministry you can possibly imagine in front of you. From the bottom of my heart, I need you to hear me. Some of you are in financial debt because you made bad choices. Some of you are in a bad position in a relationship because of some bad choices. You consecrate that heart to God. You get cleaned up before Him. You, You renew your love for Jesus and walk in integrity and God will take even the most unseemly trials of our life and turn them for good. I'm looking out at faces in this room right now that I cannot begin to tell you the stories because they would be hard to believe about the pain that some people have gone through. But I need you to know something. Joseph stands as a testimony that our God is mighty. And he wants to use you in ways you can't imagine. There is no trial that you've gone through that is unredeemable. Not one. In Genesis 39, 9 through 10, the context of this passage is pretty interesting. We pick up the discussion between Joseph and Potiphar's wife. You know, I had never seen, nor had I exposed this two weeks ago when we were talking about this, I had never seen the spiritual veracity as strongly as I do here when you read this verse for all these two verses for all that it has look at what he says he's talking to Potiphar's wife and she's been hitting on him like crazy as you're going to see here in a moment I think a lot of us reduce Potiphar's wife in the encounter that he had with her where she accuses him ultimately of sexual assault we see that as a one-off deal that she's like hot to trot no place to race got to get that young man in my bed kind of thing No, it's way more than that. Look at what it says here. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you. I can almost see this young man pleading with her. It's like, what are you doing here? Because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as he spoke, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her listen to me sometimes overcoming means that you say no 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 and then you get burned anyway 
It's right here in the scriptures. One day the story goes on to say that she made one last proposition to him. Come on, Joseph, I want to bed you down, man. Let's go. He bolts. She grabs a chunk of his cloak. He decides, don't stick around. Leave it behind. She uses that as this piece of apparel to claim that he had sexually assaulted her. Whoa. Here's the point, and it can be confusing. God sees the greatest injustices in your life. Trust his sovereignty. This point I did the deepest dive on. I can't even get into it. I read pages and pages out of a friend of mine who wrote a systematic theology named Wayne Grudem, and I was studying free will, God's providence, God's sovereignty, how do all these things come together because God is all sovereign over all things and yet he gives us free choice within this thing. And there was this, there was this phrase that he gave that is from Augustine and it's still used to this day. Now, 1,700 years later, Augustine, this radically transformed man of God, laid down a phrase about how in the world to trust God's sovereignty in all this thing. And this is a phrase, and then I'll explain how it works its way out. Augustine said these words, When we find ourselves in times of trial and tribulation, knowing that, yes, there is somehow a good God, in that sphere live with, these, this, this is the phrase, reasonable self-determination. Reasonable self-determination. Theologians for years have gone back to Augustine to say, yes, we, we have free will, and yes, God has ordered things, and yes, God is providential, but in the sphere in which we walk today, even if we feel like we're sinking, live with reasonable self-determination. That's not bootstrapping. It's living in this bubble of God's sovereignty and His power as you're walking through trials in life. Financial, relational, betrayal. Oh, betrayal. One of the toughest things my bride and I ever went through, many of you know, we had to drive away from what we thought was the dream. So I told you to live it anyway, right? But what about when you got to drive away from it? What happens when you feel like God is pulling up your tent stakes saying, we're leaving? And in the middle of the night, in the middle of the Yukon Territory, it was about 20 below zero. There were semis off on the side of the road. It was incredibly icy conditions. It was nasty. I'm driving a pickup truck with everything we've got. No, a big old truck with everything we've got, towing a trailer that had my bride's car on it. I've got a trailer brake, so I'm feathering that so that I don't get jackknifed. And I mean, it was high risk. And I'm going through the hills of the Yukon Territory, middle of the night. There is no one around. That's my bride. I mean, there was no one around. And at one point, my bride fell asleep. God bless her, man. It was so scary. I'm like, man, just knock her out, God. She's over there. She snores so beautifully, my bride. <laughs> it's just like, 
I can't even do it. It's beautiful. <laughs> and my bride's be- beautifully snoring next to me, and we've got Olga, the cat, posted up right next to me on a console. And Olga's like, she's out, but I got you. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I could tell you about this cat all day long. <laughs> she made me into a cat lover. I hated cats before Olga. But as we drove, I had a moment for reasonable self-determination. In moments when you feel like the dream is slipping away and things are pulled out from under you and where in the world are we going to go and will I ever do more than tread water or might I sink and die? Stay after it. My wife's sound asleep. I'm still going through some switchbacks, but they're starting to get a little bit better, but we got a couple thousand miles in front of us, and I just began to cry. I cried. I cried. And you know when you're crying and you're sinking and you're in a lot of pain, sometimes you start thinking about crazy stuff. Come on. Crazy stuff. But I heard the voice of the Spirit of God in the bubble of that cab and in the bubble of God's sovereignty and the power of the Holy Spirit. And all I heard from the Lord was, keep driving, the dream's not dead. Trust His sovereignty. With the pain that you're in today, the question marks of your life, the anguish of memories from the past, the treading water, no matter what it is, trust God's sovereignty today and have some reasonable self-determination by the power of the Spirit in that bubble for which you live today. But don't get off the road. I'll move quickly through these last two. In Genesis 41, 38, I told you, Pharaoh saw something in this guy. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom the Spirit of God rests? This is amazing. One of the biggest power brokers in the history of the world, Pharaoh, saw a power that he did not know in Joseph. Who was Joseph? Joseph was a nobody. He was a servant. He was no one. And here's the point. God's Spirit always sustains you and shines through. Let him fill you. I want to take you to Ephesians In the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says, Don't be drunk with wine. That leads to debauchery, but be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's the difference. I know this because I remember on multiple occasions, I would walk up to people and I did not want them to know I was drunk. They didn't see a bottle. 
they didn't see any they couldn't smell my breath I was too far away but on more than one occasion as I'm walking up to someone guess what I would be asked Carl are you drunk Paul is not in Ephesians saying don't drink he's telling you what to drink The greatest thing that we can be intoxicated by this morning and in times when we're treading water and feeling like, how am I going to get out? Say, Spirit of God, fill me up. Because even when you're treading water and you feel like nobody, the world will see, the Spirit of God is on this one. In Genesis 45, verses 7 and 8, he says to his brothers, this is not the famous chapter 50, verse 20 verse. This is almost better, I think. It's a little longer. And he's looking at his brothers. He'd just done the big reveal in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 45. And he says, And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors so it, it it was not you who sent me here but God and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt last word I got for you here and this is the last this is this is the 180 moment here today guys God's plan for you is unstoppable have faith to believe now hold it i, I want to theologically anchor something here god's plan for you is unstoppable have faith to believe carl do you believe that yes the most anchored verse in scripture that supports this is job going through a mess listen to what he says Job 42, verse 1 and 2, Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things and that no plan of yours can be thwarted. That's our God. Have faith to believe. I want you to bow your head. And I want you to bring to mind right now an area of your life that you're treading water. And I want it to be quiet in here. There's no need to move around. We don't need anyone to get to a greeting position right now. Just think about an area of your life that you're treading some water. And I want you to be honest to God. Don't spiritualize your life like in some fake way. I want you to bring God something where you're treading water. And it doesn't matter if it's a bunch of stuff. Just bring it to them right now. Bring it to them right now. I want you to cup your hands in front of you. No one else can see. Everybody's got eyes closed. Cup your hands in front of you. I want you to put that issue that situation that challenge that you're up against right now hold it up before God just hold it you don't have to even hold it up just cup your hands keep them low if you need to 
Overcomer's Creed. I'm going to pray it over you. God, you've given dreams to men and women in this room today and those watching online. I'm asking that you would, although it may be uncomfortable for others, let them live it anyway. God, I know that when we are overcomers, there's going to be trials that come our way. God, I pray right now, don't let anyone in this room or watching online spiritualize this, but oh Lord, help us remember that you always leverage trials for our good. And God, in the middle of injustice, things that don't seem right, Give us some reasonable self-determination and to trust your sovereignty today. Make us reasonably self-determined today, God. And Father, God's Spirit is, is who sustains and shines through God. Fill my brothers and sisters up with your Spirit right now. Fill them up. Fill them up. Let them be postured in humility, ready to receive all that you have, but to empty themselves of self in this moment. Nothing to prove, nothing to gain, nothing to lose. Right now, Father. And I praise you too, God, that your plans are unstoppable. Give my friends here faith to believe that your plans, oh God, said Joseph and Job, cannot be thwarted. Give us strength to walk in and out today. And we give you praise in Jesus' name.